Let's take our Bibles tonight to the Gospel of John, John chapter number four this evening. You're turning there, I want to say that uh, I appreciate so very, very much the church, uh, the wonderful accommodations. You've taken great care of us. Again, the room uh, is just absolutely, not only is it an, a nice place and those things, but it's comfortable. And I sure appreciate that. I appreciate the food. My goodness, we've ate very well. Uh, it seems like we're eating, you're turning around, and it's about time to eat again. And uh, we have just been extremely take, well taken care of. And I, I wish I were more eloquent tonight to tell you how much I appreciate what the church has done in regards to taking care of us while we're here. Um, 20 churches, Brother Pittman. Great, wonderful thing. God's able to do that. God's capable and God can do it. Appreciate the presentation and just the update on what God's doing in the country of Chile. John chapter number four tonight. You reach a place, let's stand together. Give you one last chance tonight to stretch your legs. Let's look together, please. John chapter number four, beginning in verse 27. The Bible says, and upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, what seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. And the meanwhile his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore, said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto him, them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. He that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you're entered into their labors. Our Father tonight... It has been a joy, it's been an honor of ours to be gathered and be able to be in church tonight. Dear Lord, I pray from the very depth of my heart, God, I ask that you use me. I pray, God, you'd look upon my heart and forgive me of sin, self, and anything that might stand in the way and hinder the preaching of your word. I pray that, God, you'd remove all distractions from my mind. You'd fill my voice with exactly what you have for us. And Dear Lord, I pray that your word would go forth. And Father, it would find the good soil tonight of our heart and it would be planted and produce the fruit in our lives that you so desire. I pray, God, that you'd bless this service tonight, the preaching of your word, and we'll thank you even now as we ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so very much. You may be seated. As we come here to the beginning of John chapter number 4, beginning in verse 6, 
We find that Jesus has traveled quite a ways and he's weary from his journey. And so the Bible tells us that what he does is he goes to the well. And actually this is Jacob's well. And he resides there because again of the journey that he's been on. And while he takes a break or gets some rest, if we could say it that way, his disciples go into the city of Sychar and there they're looking for food. They're trying to get a meal together that they might be able to feed both themselves and the Lord Jesus. It is here upon this account that Jesus enters what we most of us know as the encounter with the Samaritan woman. And I don't want to get off track tonight, but I would say this, and I think it's helpful for us this evening to realize the way that Jesus approaches this particular woman. I think in my own life and probably in your life tonight that it would help us in our own witnessing and our approach of people to see how the Lord approached people. And the way he deals with this particular woman is very interesting. In verses 10 through verse 14, he deals with her ignorance, first of all. He tells her, if thou had known the gift of God, if you known who I was, then you would realize and wouldn't just be asking me these questions, but you would be asking of me to give you drink. He, he talking about you really don't have a clue who I am. And I tell you, my friend, in witnessing, whether it's the foreign soil or right here in America, people will not get saved until they know who the Lord Jesus Christ is. They have to know him. And they have to realize, they don't maybe necessarily know all theology and terms and things along that line. But my friend, people are not going to get saved out apart from realizing that Jesus Christ is in fact the very Son of God. And so he deals with our ignorance. In verses 15 through 18, he then deals with her iniquity. He tells her that she has had five husbands and the man that she's currently living with is not her husband. And he's very confrontational with her about this matter. Now, don't look at me. He's not combative. He's not mean-spirited and trying to run through this, you know, trying to be ugly about the matter. But my friend, neither is he just trying to skip over the matter. He deals with her sin and what she's going through. I, I'm going to tell you that when you're presenting the gospel to people, it's not just, well, would you like to go to heaven? But my friend, if people are going to repent of their sins and trust Christ by faith, their sin must be dealt with. And so he deals with her ignorance. He deals with her iniquity. And then I tell you also, verses 19 and 20, he deals with her elusiveness. She begins to, I believe, come under conviction and she starts changing the subject. I perceive thou art a prophet. Well, you know, our fathers worshiped up in that mountain. And Jesus takes everything that she throws at him and brings it right back around. And in verse 26, he lets her know, I am the Christ. I am the one that can help you and bring you eternal life. He gives her what she needs and understanding who he is. We come to verse 27 tonight. 
In verse 27, the Bible teaches that the disciples are coming back from the city. They've no doubt acquired a meal at this time and they're coming back to where Jesus is by the well and they catch the tail end of this conversation. Now, the Bible says in verse 27 that they marveled. The word there means to be in wonder, to be curious, to have a propensity of, of curiosity. What is going on? What are they doing? But the Bible says that nobody asked Jesus about this. None of them came to him and said, why are you talking to her? What's this conversation about? They just let the curiosity kind of set there. My friend, I want you to understand that as much as anything, they looked at this woman and their curiosity was not necessarily in the words that were being shared or spoken. The real curiosity was that they couldn't believe Jesus would talk to a Samaritan woman. I mean, can, can you believe it? He's having a conversation with a woman who's a Samaritan. She's racially different. And no doubt that she's got probably some issues and some problems. And she's not of our Jewish standard. Can I say this and just be real blunt about the matter? Some of their prejudiceness was coming out. Their own heritage as Jews and the way the Jews looked at Samaritans. And so they just kind of, man, I can't believe he'd do that. You know what the problem was? They failed to see this woman in a proper light. They, they failed to see who she really was. And my dear friend, tonight if we're not careful, we will follow the very example of what we see in the lives of these disciples and we look at people in our world today as the world looks at them. You see what do you mean by that? You read any kind of political news or watch anything on television, everything is about demographics right now. In the polls, whether it's on the Democrat side or whether it's on the Republican side, we're either winning or losing in these particular demographics. And we kind of look at people, we tend to put people in demographics. Are they Republican or are they Democrat? Are they young or are they old? Are they rich or are they poor? Are they black or are they white? In our area, it's are they Yankee or Southern? Are they city folk or country folk? I'd have to be honest with you tonight. I have a tendency to look at people sometimes by the way of demographics. I go into Walmart and I look at people in one of two ways. Those who are normal and those who are weird. You want to see weird people go to Walmart. I mean, you just, but we have a tendency to look at people and put them into a category in our mind 
And what we're failing to do is see them the way they ought to be seen as souls that need the gospel, as somebody, regardless of what their financial status is, regardless of what their skin color is, they are somebody to whom God the Father sent his son to die for because he loved them. We are failing tonight as God's people to see everyone as a soul in need of the gospel. We find here very clearly in verse 35 that this motivated Jesus to say some things to these disciples. And here's what he tells them. He says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. Hey, I want you to see people the way they ought to be seen. And I understand about getting frustrated with people and things of our world. But my friend, regardless of who they are, they are still someone that you and I ought to have a heart for, you and I ought to have a burden for, you and I ought to learn to look at people the way they ought to be seen, and that is as a soul that needs the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to look at this passage tonight and specifically verse 35 and following of what we read, and I want to preach to you on that thought about looking on the fields. I want you to first of all notice with me tonight the possible excuses. Notice what Jesus says beginning here in verse 35. He says, say not ye, there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Now notice the question mark at the end of the word harvest. Jesus is not telling them, don't say this. He's asking them, is this what you say? Don't you have a saying amongst you? And the Jews did. It was their custom from the time that they would sow a seed to the time in which they could expect to reap it in a harvest out of the field was usually about four months. Well, because of this custom, they began to use this saying, there's four months and then cometh harvest. And it became a part of their vernacular. It became a part of what they would say. And it was an idea that I've got all the time in the world. I don't have to do it right now. I've got four months and then cometh harvest. Oh, okay, I, I know I got some responsibilities and I know there's some things that should be doing and going on, but hey, hey four months and then cometh harvest. We've got terms, at least in Duncan, Oklahoma, we've got terms that we use for procrastination. Why do today what you can put off till tomorrow? <laughs> you say, preacher, people have that philosophy and that mindset and that was kind of the idea behind this saying. And Jesus is looking at him and saying, don't you, don't you have this? Don't you say this? Isn't this a part of your culture and your heritage? Don't you have this saying? And he ends it with a question mark. He's trying to help them understand, my friend, that there are excuses all around us for not 
witnessing and not getting the gospel and not being concerned about missions across this globe. May I tell you, we better be careful because we as God's people can use our own excuses as to why we aren't witnessing. Why aren't we involved in missions and supporting missionaries like these that are here and others that represent the hallway over there and others across the world? We can give our own excuses tonight about why we can't do those things. We say things like, well, you know, I can't really get involved in faith promise because I don't have any extra finances. I just don't have money to do that, preacher. And yet we ignore what the Bible says. Paul talking to the church at Corinth, and he's talking about the churches of Macedonia in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and he talks about how they were in deep poverty. And my friend, when the Bible says they were in deep poverty, you go ahead and mark it down, they were in deep poverty. And yet the Bible says that God was able to help them and give them a power beyond their ability to be able to give towards missions. God's able to do that. And if God can do that for them, and God is no respecter of persons tonight, I firmly believe that I'm all right claiming that promise that if I'll set my heart to it and allow God to use me, then God will give me the ability to be able to give towards worldwide missions as he would have me to give. I believe that. We use excuses, well... I got that preacher and financially you're right. We ought to be doing that and God can help me and God can use me. But as far as personal witnessing and personal evangelism, preacher, I, I, I don't have that kind of personality. I'm not a people person. I'm kind of shy. I'm afraid of what to say. What if I say the wrong thing? And yet we ignore the scripture where the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 that we're not to be given to the spirit of fear. We're not careful. We'll let the devil use that in our life and we hold on to it and it's nothing more than an excuse to refuse to do what God's not only asked of us to do but my friend commanded us to do. I just don't... I, preacher, I just don't know what to say. I'm not sure that I could do that. Well, Philippians chapter number 2 tells us that it is God who worketh in us and through us to his good pleasure. I just don't have the time. Is it we don't have the time and we're not making the time? I'm not trying to be ugly, but we're not going to get anywhere tonight unless we're honest and straightforward and it's not usually that we don't have the time it's the fact that sometimes witnessing and personal evangelism and reaching out to those of our own community and our sphere of influence is not near as high a priority on the list as was it ought to be we're full of excuses 
I said it last night, I'll mention it again because I think it's pertinent to what we're dealing with. If we're not careful, we focus on all the things that we can't do. We give excuses of why we don't have finances, why don't we don't have time, how we're not just built that way, that's not our strong suit, that's not our personality, and we give all these excuses about why these things aren't relevant or aren't um, pertinent in our life and being seen and exercised. And ladies and gentlemen, the truth of it is, if we're not careful, we focus way too much on what we can't do instead of realizing through the help of God we can do a lot. Do you realize with me tonight that focusing on what you can't do is a tool of the devil? Where do you get that? I, actually from the scriptures. In Genesis chapter number 3, Adam and Eve are in the garden. God gives him one command, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you know what the devil does? The devil does not bring their attention to all the things that God has allowed them to do. Look, my friend, what a wonderful place that God has set them in and blessed them with and given them. But the devil comes in and he brings their attention not to all this that they can do and they can partake of, but the devil brings their attention to that one thing. When you begin to focus on all the things you can't do, you're missing the opportunity for God to work through you and do some marvelous, wonderful things. Again, the, probably the greatest condom, uh, commendation, in my opinion, from the Lord Jesus Christ is the woman with the alabaster box when she anointed the body of the Lord and the Lord said, let her alone, she hath done what she could. I'll just be real honest tonight. I don't believe the Lord is interested in listening to our excuses. You go and read what the Bible teaches in Luke chapter number 14 about those that were bid to come to the supper and all the excuses that they gave. God's not interested in listening to that. Moses tried using excuses. God came to Moses, I want you to go to my people. I want you to go before Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go. And Moses said, oh, I can't do that. I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. I don't know how to do that. And you think the Lord took that and said, I'm sorry, Moses. I just didn't realize who I was talking to. Not even close. He looked at Moses and said, who do you think you're talking to? I'm the one that made man's mouth. And if you're worried about your speech, I've got the ability to take care of that. You do what I've asked you to do. And he sent Moses into the field. God's not interested in listening to our excuses. We as his stewards, we as his servants are required simply to be faithful. There's the possible excuses tonight. But look with me also in verse 35. And I want you to notice with me as well the perceived emergency. So what do you mean by that? Well, look what it says. Say not either yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold. 
Now that brings their attention. See this, understand it. I want you to know what's going on. Here's what he says. I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. Here's the reason why. For they are white already to harvest. Now my friend, sometimes we read that or we read after a commentary or somebody who's written on this passage and they almost act like and portray this well. There's just certain places and certain times in man's history where people were just willing and people were open and you could just go win people and it was somehow easy. May I tell you that is not the idea that Jesus is trying to get a hold here. This is not like going to an orchard or a vineyard and harvesting the fruit there where you just pick it off the vine or out of the tree and it's good. The idea here of going to the field has to do with a wheat harvest or even a barley harvest. And my friend, listen to me, any kind of harvest takes work. It's not easy. You understand, you know, in our day and age and our culture and what we're dealing with, you know, I understand but it's never been easy. It's never been simple. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, my friend, that we're laborers together with God. The idea of labor is to sweat and toil and to give exertedly, to, to be exerted with energy, to literally work till you toil and sweat. You labor. Getting the gospel to those that need the Lord Jesus Christ is work. We expect our missionaries to go to the field and labor. But God expects the same thing out of you and I tonight. And the issue is not, well, at certain times the harvest is easy. Now I understand in certain fields that the soil is more fertile than others. And I understand the soil you go to Matthew chapter number 13 and it talks about the soil. There's those that are grown over with thorns. There's the stony ground. There's the soil by the wayside. I understand the application there. And certainly we might see a different response in countries like South Africa and Papua New Guinea than what you might see in Scotland or England and other places. I got that. But listen to me, my friend. Regardless of where you are, it is still work to get the harvest in. The issue when the Bible says the harvest is it's white, ready to harvest, it's not just it's not trying to betray the message that it's easy and ready just to do. The message being betrayed here is one of urgency. Because if we don't get the harvest in when it's white, guess what happens to it? It rots in the field. We lose it. Ladies and gentlemen, we are living in a world that is white, ready to harvest. And there ought to be a sense of urgency about God's people to get the work done. Because our days, as of this day, is numbered. What do you mean? Things will not continue on just like they are forever. 
I'm not trying to say that, you know, the Lord's coming back today or tomorrow. I don't know when he's going to come back, but I'm telling you, his return is near. And our days to be able to serve and labor and see folks come to the Lord Jesus Christ, those days are dwindling as every day passes us by. There needs to be a sense of urgency in our heart. May we pray with urgency. May we give with urgency. May God help us to witness to our neighbors, our friends, our loved ones with a sense of urgency. He says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest as God's people and the Lord's church that is given given the great commission to begin with not only have we become accustomed to possible excuses but if we're not careful tonight we grow indifferent to the very truth that people are dying and going to hell all around us oh, we got four months and then cometh harvest we got time and you know uh, I got time, I'll get, I'll get to it when I can. May the Lord help us tonight to operate our Christian life and do what we can when we look on people and have a sense of urgency and a, mer- a perceived emergency. It is, it is imperative that I get them the gospel. It's imperative that we send missionaries to the field. It's imperative that we do all that we can in the time that we have. John 9, 4, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. May I tell you, there's a perceived emergency. There's possible excuses, but also look with me tonight at the particular employment. Look in verse 36. It says, He that reapeth receiveth wages. And gather fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth. It goes on to say in verse 37, and herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. You realize when you witness to people, we send missionaries to the field to spread the gospel and start Baptist churches. Not everybody we witness to is going to make a profession of faith. You say, well, that's a no-brainer, preacher. No, I want us to understand it's not our job to make a harvest happen. It's my job to sow the seed. It's my job to water that seed. And I do believe, according to the Bible, that if we'll just be faithful and not faint, according to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, we'll reap in due time. I believe that's a promise from God. But it's not my job to try to buttonhole people and get them in an arm bar or chokehold of some sort and make them profess Jesus Christ. I think sometimes if we're not careful, we've misunderstood what our particular employment is. My job is to sow the seed and give the gospel out as I can. It's not my job to make people profess Jesus Christ. 
I'm a witness, not a lawyer. You know what a lawyer does? They go into a courtroom. A lawyer takes his side of the argument, presents his case in his fashion, trying to convince a jury of his side. I'm not a lawyer. I've been called by God to be a witness. I'm to take the stand and tell my experience, what I've seen, what I've heard, what I've been through. And I hope the jury takes what I've said. But my friend, it's the Holy Spirit's job to do the conviction of the heart of an individual. That's not my job. I can't do that. I don't care how persuasive I might be or you might be tonight. That's not my job. My job is to simply be faithful to continue to spread the gospel everywhere I go. That's all our job tonight. And if we'll do that and be faithful in that, then we can certainly expect God to give a harvest. And then look at verse number 36 with me. And we see tonight not just the possible excuses. We see not only the perceived emergency. But I want you to notice verse 36 here. And I want you to notice the potential excitement. Because here's what it says. He that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. That both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Isn't it wonderful when you see a soul saved by the grace of God? I, I tell you, it ought to be wonderful to us. It ought to amaze us that God would perform a miracle like that in the life of a person and take somebody from death unto life and change them from the inside out. My friend, it ought to excite us when we know that and see that to happen in the life of a person. I rejoice when I hear somebody else's testimonies I like to see what we saw tonight in the missionary presentation. And though I've never been personally to the country of Chile, and I've never personally met those folks, I certainly can rejoice in what God has done and what God has performed in that country, in that ministry, in the souls that have been harvested for the Lord Jesus Christ. We can rejoice together tonight. And it's wonderful. I love getting missionary letters. And we'll take, on Sunday mornings, we have a general assembly, but what we usually do our Sunday school time, and we'll take some time and read our missionary letters and make some statements and that kind of things. And we have a missionary of the month, and we'll pray for that missionary specifically and give some things about them and their family. I like taking those missionary letters and telling the church, hey, this is what has been happening. They've asked us to pray about this particular person or this particular area and look what God is doing. That ought to excite you tonight. But I'm also excited when I can stand and give my own testimonies. What do you mean? Things that God has allowed me to be a part of. 
It's wonderful to see somebody that you've prayed for, somebody that you've invited to church, somebody that you've had a Bible study with, somebody that you've sold the gospel and you've gone before the throne of grace and you've lifted them up and you've prayed about them and you're asking God to do a miracle and a work in their life. I'm telling you, and then watch God do that miracle and watch them walk an aisle, watch them sit across the dining table and bow their head, repent of their sins and trust Christ by faith. I mean, my friend, that God would use somebody like me to share his precious message is a wonderful thing and it ought to excite your heart it's wonderful to listen to somebody else's testimony and certainly I rejoice with those but I'm glad tonight I've got my own I'm glad God's used me not because of who I am I'll tell you real honestly God uses me in spite of who I am but to have a part watching people trust the Lord Jesus Christ and watching him change their very life. It's incredible. It's absolutely a joy that ought to be found in the hearts of God's people. Take your Bible with me tonight and let's look together at one passage and then we'll be finished. Look in Lamentations tonight, chapter 3. The title for the message was when Jesus looked at these disciples and said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. And by the way, he didn't say look on the field. He said look on the fields. Plural. I ought to see people here and I ought to have a burden for people here like I have a burden for people back home. I ought to be able to go into the store while I'm here visiting and have a burden for everybody around me because there's people all the time around us that need the gospel. Look on the fields. At the same time, I ought to be able to look at the Philippines. I ought to be looking at the people of Russia and Chile and other places across the globe and have a burden for them. I ought to have a burden for a world that needs the gospel tonight. I don't have a calling to every place in this world, but I ought to have a burden for every place. I ought to look and see the fields for the way they are. Lamentations chapter number 3, go down to verse 51. Notice the first part of the verse. Mine eye affecteth mine heart. I believe tonight if we would see the world the way we ought to. If we would see the world, the fields all around us. If we would see them the way our Savior means for us to see them. I believe by all authority in the Word of God that it ought to affect our heart. If it'll affect our heart, the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. It's from the heart that proceed the things we do. We let our eyes affect our heart it would change our lives tonight in the cause of worldwide missions
people all around us, both here, in your community, in your state, across this country and across the world that need the gospel. Let's lift up our eyes. Let's look on the fields. And let's see them like we're supposed to see them. Souls to whom the Lord has given his life. Every head's bowed and every eye's closed tonight. How are you seeing the world around you? How's your heart tonight? Is your heart burdened for a community that's lost? Is your heart burdened for people, for co-workers, for family members that need the Lord Jesus? Are we kind of, well, we got, we got time. We may not have time. We may not have near as long as what we think we do. And while I certainly can't force people, I don't want to be guilty of dragging my feet either. May God renew our hearts, renew our burden. May we see the fields the way we ought to. May our heart cause us to respond. Our Father, tonight, we thank you for the message. We thank you for the truth that we find in your word. God, I ask you from the very depth of my heart that you'd help me. I want to see people the way they ought to be seen. Father, I'm so ashamed tonight how many times I get into the world and I'm just focused on me. I'm focused on all the wrong things. And I'm not looking at the world the way I ought to. God, I pray that you'd help me to look properly. That my heart might be affected. And my actions changed for the glory of God. I pray you'll take our time tonight. This invitation. Bless it in only ways that you can. We ask it in Jesus' name.